What's up, everybody? This is another episode of the JTS Podcast. My name is Marcus Modi, alongside my partners, Patton Cook and Gabe Jones here. Uh, as we took down, uh, it's a little bit of memory lane because we was talking about it before we started on air. Just last year uh, was the last like, really official game of the NBA calendar year when the Lakers took on the Nets and whatnot before COVID hit uh went 100% full power on, on this and, and changed up everything. But hopefully everybody is doing well, still playing it safe as we're uh, past the honeymoon phase, if you will, with uh, COVID-19 and getting it onto a little, a little, little, little bit nitty-gritty in a marriage, uh, if you will, with, with corona. But we're going to go ahead and start off with a little bit of Austin P. Because uh, the OVC tournament was this past weekend, and uh, unfortunately, both teams, the women and the men, uh, was knocked out in the first round. Uh, the women lost to Belmont, I believe it was 64 to 60, and then uh, the men, they lost to Eastern Kentucky. Uh, and actually, uh, I, would, I wasn't a little bit shocked on that one, but the OVC winner uh, for the men was a little bit of a shocker as Moorhead State punched that ticket into the NCAA tournament, defeating Belmont, even though Belmont only had two losses. Uh, let's go ahead and start with Austin P because they finished 10 and 10 on the year in the regular season and then ended up getting bounced in the first round. Unfortunately, this was, this was Terry Taylor's last collegiate game. He has no more uh, years of eligibility and we know we have all stated uh, multiple times on previous podcasts that this young man will be in the rafters, but it was just sad to see him go out like this. I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on just this game for Terry Taylor and also the career that he's had over these past four years. I'll go first, Gabe, and, and then I'll let, let you kind of go second. For me in sports, one thing I love so much is kind of the the romanticizing of it. You kind of see the happy endings, the the senior getting to make it to the final four and get a chance to play for a national championship. Ultimately for Terry Taylor and his Austin P career, we didn't get to see that. And, and, and that's pretty heartbreaking uh, for myself. I've kind of followed along with the Terry uh, Taylor journey. I got here at Austin P when he got here. So I kind of got to see firsthand as a freshman, just how great he was. And he lived up to the hype each and every year. But ultimately, this season was not what he would have hoped for. He came back to win an OVC title. I think if he wanted to, he could be right now in the G League um, with a with a basketball team looking to make an NBA roster next season. Except, and except his hope was this season that he could come back with his brothers and Jordan Adams, uh, Chino Paez, a, a ton of other guys, and look to win an OVC title for Coach uh, Matt Figger. Ultimately, didn't happen this season, and. And we can get into this in just a little bit, but I think there's a variety of reasons. But one thing we can't say is Terry Taylor is at the very bottom of the list of anything, any blame to fall on because he was as advertised this season, likely uh, or actually already won OVC player of the year already in the regular season. But ultimately uh, in tournament time, you need you need all five guys and you need guys off the bench to come in and they just ultimately never did get that. Uh, Chino uh, Paez did very well. Uh, Carlos Paez, Chino, uh, however uh, you want to pronounce it, but he did very well. Had a couple 20-point games this season, but Jordan Adams, one guy we were looking at to make the NBA draft, just never could get a rhythm, and injuries had a lot to do with that this season. 
Um, disappointing because uh, very likely we're not going to see a player like Terry Taylor step into the Dunn Center uh, for a long for a long while because those are kind of once in uh, once in a decade type players and ultimately Austin P just never did capitalize on a player like that to win the OVC. Indeed, indeed, as you say, Terry Taylor is not a guy that just comes around too often. Um, not exactly local, but he's from uh, Kentucky, so not too far away. Decided to bring his talents down to Austin P and brought his talents he did. I mean, that dude was a bucket getter, always grabbing rebounds. He finishes top 10 in basically every category, top five in pretty much the important categories as far as rebounding. Uh, scoring as well. I mean, this guy was everything and more for what Austin P could ever ask for. In his final game, dropping 19 points, had two steals, a block, uh, 16 rebounds. I mean, he battled his heart out, gave the best performance that he could give. But sometimes, I mean, you just can't be a one-man show. It is a team sport for a reason. Uh, unfortunate that Terry Taylor didn't get to see uh, the team success, though he had a lot of individual success. And we hate to see him go, but I wish him the best of luck in all of his future endeavors. Terry Taylor, through four years, had four first-team All-OVCs. He won freshman of the year, two-time OVC player of the year. He won it this year and last year, back-to-back. -back. And unfortunately, he couldn't get even to the championship game he didn't get, he didn't, couldn't get past the second round in four years uh he only beat belmont i believe once he only beat murray state only once it it was it everything that terry could muster up and do because he was trying to do he was trying to get wins and whenever he went to a, a post-game interview or an interview in general it wasn't all about him it was all about us and it was just sad to see that they couldn't propel. Like, even though he had plenty of games, I know last year he had like a 27-point game and he was trying to fight his way to trying to just get to a championship game where the big lights was at. Just couldn't get it done. Uh, All-time leading scorer, top five in rebounds, top five in double-doubles. I mean, he, he 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 is one of those guys. He's he's going to be one of those five guys when you look look back down twenty years down the line. It's like, man, this guy could do everything, but we couldn't give him a ring. Why? What went wrong? And that that's the questions that he's going to be having for the the rest of his his life, honestly, because we do, we all believe that he's going. to he has the potential to get drafted. Right now he's projected second round, but anything is possible. He Because he will, we all know he's going to go to the combine. His numbers could jump up. And if they have a summer league this year, depending on how Corona is, he could get even more looks after the fact and get on the NBA roster. It's just that if you look at his collegiate career, it's like, man, it was so many opportunities and he was up against NBA talent and did well. But the team success, the guys around him, like 
these past two years, in the preseason, Austin P was projected predicted to win it, the OVC. They didn't come close. It wasn't close this year. Yes, Jordan Adams, it was an injury-filled year, but still, he was. this was supposed to be the top two duo in the, in, in the OVC and just couldn't get it done. Yeah, and, and one thing for me, I know Terry's going to ask how, how did he not win an OVC. I, I kind of ask the same sort of question, and the only thing I can really come up is one thing that's been pretty consistent in this Matt Figure era is – the consistency on the team and like the like the players on the floor year in year out it is constantly changes rarely have they ever had a starting five more than two years in a row under Terry's time whether that be through transfers whether that be through graduation there's really nothing coach figure can do about that but I think when teams when you look at teams like Belmont and Murray State they're building up to OBC titles they've got a roster that's kind of young they start them their freshman year and then that sophomore and junior year they're back and they're looking to win an OVC. I think that's one thing. That's the only thing I can pick out because talent on the floor, you look at it uh, night in, night out for Austin P. There's not many uh, more talented teams, I think, but just the kind of the cohesion of the, of the guys on the floor, it just was never there. And of course, with practices kind of being cut down because of COVID, they just never could get, um, never could get the rhythm going. And they thought that Eastern Kentucky might have been a good matchup for them. That's probably been their best matchup this season. But ultimately, uh, EKU popped up. And one thing I would like to say is shout out to Moorhead State. Their head coach is from uh, my mom's hometown down there in uh, Betsy Lane, Kentucky. Would say he'd come on the podcast. So I'm going to see if uh, we can get him on maybe someday and talk about this run. But it's a heck of a run for Moorhead. And uh, they, they've kind of been at the top all year long. And, and no one really expected them to beat Belmont, who was uh, kind of the media darling here in, in, in Nashville. Hey Pat, let's let's do that after let's do that after their NCAA run. We don't want to try to spoil anything for them. Let's no, go. yeah, I gotta let them be locked in and focused. That's another that's another point I did want to say. Morehead State is another good example of keeping their guys together mm-hmm. and bringing them up because Morehead State that took a lot of time for them. Yeah, so it no, just oh we're gonna be really cold this year. No, that it, it took some some hard work and some not the best years in those first the first couple of years, these past, past couple of years, to where they propelled themselves to to an OVC title, something that hasn't been done in quite some time for Morehead State. Indeed, uh, I was never afraid of the War Eagles as an Austin P. governor, but <laughs> good to see them, you know, uh, make some noise. Hopefully they make some noise in the NCAA tournament. And that'll just bring some more attention to these uh, lower division one schools. And maybe they will bring more talent. I mean, we've seen guys come out of these schools to go into the NBA. Um, Of course, most notably a John Morant, a guy that went second in the draft. Um, A guy, I'm happy that he ended up coming to Memphis. So he brings us more joy. But as said, Terry Taylor, one of uh, the greats, one of the best that we've seen in all of OVC history, um, just to be quite honest, just to be quite frank. Um, so, Austin P. I'm not sure where they go from there. Um, hopefully, Coach Coach Figure figures out something as far as getting in some young guys, and maybe he can keep these teams consistent and try to go for something 
in the coming years. One, one final thing for uh, for me, Marcus, I think we might talk about the, the women's team and kind of their future ahead. What do you guys think about Belmont? That kind of all season long, they were pretty much surefire to get into the NCAA tournament. Now they're not at, uh, they're not going to be an automatic bid with them losing, uh, not winning the OVC. Marcus, do you think they're making it in? I, for me, when you look at the schedule, they haven't really played anyone as of note. They kind of struggled down the stretch, and that's one thing kind of the committee looks at. Are you peaking at the right time, or are you coming in hot? And right now they're playing uh, – they're not playing their best basketball right now. Yes, uh, I do think that Belmont is going to get in. I actually was going to ask this question before we had moved on. So uh, <laughs> you just beat me to it. But I think Belmont is going to get in. I mean, they only had two losses throughout the whole entire year. Um yeah, their non-conference schedule wasn't as top tier as other schools, but also you got to realize a lot of times they had to stay within uh, mm-hmm. what a, a few hours from each other, from Nashville, if you will. So they couldn't just go out and play a lot of teams just due to COVID re- regulations. Um, but once, a, once again, also what was strange for them is they had an injury bug three games right before the end of the season. They had two of their top guys fall out of the uh, rotation. So everything was really questionable. So everybody was already throwing that white flag, that red, they was throwing the red flags and white flags for Belmont. But when they got to the tournament, yeah, they struggled, but they somehow still found a way to get themselves back into the championship. So I think that actually will help them out a little bit within the, uh, within the committee. And then also in that championship game, they was down double digits and had to muster their way back. They fought hard, but they just couldn't close it out. But I still think they'll get a nod. I, I agree. And I, I think one thing that does help them is whenever uh, that year that had John Morant and Dylan Windler in the OVC, where we had two OVC, te- OVC teams make it into the NCAA tournament, both of them won. And I think there's something to be said. I think the committee takes that into account when you do get the kind of favor. They didn't end up winning the OVC that year. John Morant did. They gave uh, Belmont the nod, and they ended up winning it. They're winning a game worth it today. One more thing is, too, they was a top 25 team for majority of the year. Uh, mm-hmm. That's That would be pretty bold for the committee just to say, uh, since they're not in the top 25, we're not even going to give them a nod at all. That would be a pretty bold one because they was, they was in that 22 to 25 range literally all year long. So they was getting the recognition that they deserved. It's just that they fell off at a weird time. So let's go ahead and move on to the women's side because uh, we talked about it just a, a little bit. But Coach David Mitlick, uh, they announced a couple of days ago that Mitlick uh, was not getting his contract renewed. And uh, he's been with the team for seven seasons, did not have a losing record at all, either non-conference or conference. So throughout the, his entire seven seasons, he did not have a losing record. But unfortunately, uh, Gerald Harrison just thought that it was best to move into a different direction. I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on it. And what, what did you think that was this the right move? Or should he have gotten at least a couple more years? Um, right or wrong, um, I think that they were just trying to move into a different direction. Uh, Austin P did have success, a lot of success in the OVC, yet whenever it got to tournament time, 
pretty much no success at all. There was Coach Mitlick did not get a win um, in the tournament, never advanced past the first round, which is unfortunate because he was in a lot of these games. I know particularly last year, um, Austin P had a chance to advance. They just came up short. And sometimes that's just how the ball bounces. Um, not really much you can do with that. He did have um, a lot of players um, who were just, you know, blue-collar, hard-playing uh, gals. <laughs> and um, he had a major talent in Ariel Gonzalez-Barner over the last few years. Um, but just, just not enough to, you know, go forward in the tournament. And I think that is what Austin P is looking for. Now, will they receive that success? next year or anywhere in the immediate future who knows it depends on who the new coach is it depends on who they decide to bring in as far as talent to put out on the floor but um I believe that the girls that um coach Mitlick did coach enjoyed him very much as a coach he was hard on them um made them you know showed that they were leaders um in the classroom and on the floor so he will be missed. He will be missed. But, I mean, Austin P is just trying to move on into a new direction. Yeah, this is an interesting one uh, for me. I, I kind of as we've gotten to do some of the games, Marcus and, and Gabe as well, I, I did a sideline uh, game one time with uh, Coach Midlick, and he, he gave me a pretty a pretty hard time on one of the halftime interviews, came up and kind of said he, that that was wrong of him, and I, I really did respect that afterwards. It was it was a funny moment in the moment anyway, but um, this is just my little personal uh, tidbit on Coach Midlick. One thing I would like to echo on Gabe is that every player that's played for him, they've played 100% every time. And, and that just shows that they respect him and they respect what he does because ultimately he's looking to turn um, these young women into, into grown women in the real world and, and being hard and tough on him because he wants the best for him, I, I think is something that you can definitely say about Coach Midlick. One thing I will say about Austin P kind of uh, moving on is I'm going to give a bit of an example of um, something that's over my right shoulder here uh, on our little Zoom call, and that's the Vanderbilt Commodores. And that is, whenever they let go of Kevin Stallings, um, the uh, head basketball coach for, for the men's side. And the whole point was that we were tired of just making it into the NCAA tournament. We want to win a, a game or two and make it into the Sweet 16. Well, look at us now. I mean, we are having a tough time making it out of the first round of the SEC tournament, much less of the NCAA tournament. So I think you got to be careful what you wish for sometimes because if Austin P gets his higher wrong, you go from being uh, right at the middle to the, the front half of the table of the OVC to near the bottom, and that's where you have a tough time getting out of it, getting good recruits in. Of course, Clarksville's a, a really good hotbed for some hot talent on the, the both boys' and uh, uh, girls' basketball, but I think Austin P has to be really diligent on this hire, and one thing you can say about uh, the, the AD here as of recently is he's He's gotten his hires pretty much right. He hired Hudspeth, uh, got Matt, he didn't hire Matt Figure, I don't believe, I, I don't think, but um, have hired a couple new head football coaches, and I think he's hit on both of them. So the blueprint has been there for him to hire good coaches, but they have got to be extra careful here because although you want to be at the top, you could very well easily, with just a, a slight um, mistake, you're going to be at the bottom for quite some time. Yeah, uh, that's a great point for me. Um... All it can take is just that one decision because mm. that one decision can either benefit you, 
because it was it's just for instance like uh with football when the uh healy left you brought in hutchbill boom you got a championship or where it could be one move where you're right there you're really close and then you're just at the bottom of the barrel and trying to rebuild instead of restoring that that's the thing that's that's two different types of ways when you kind of make these decisions are you going to try to rebuild or you just trying to restore your team to propel them to get a championship. And we, we, we're not the guys. I'm, I'm not the guy in the chair uh, to make that decision. Um, we, we've all had great memories with Coach Millick. Uh, Coach Millick, he was, uh, he was focused on his players, no doubt, throughout his entire tenure. Um, he had a lot of former players come back and be grad assistants, uh, helping them coaching on the sidelines. It's just really extremely tough that through these seven seasons, not getting a lot of wins in the OBC tournament is the reason why he bounced. It's not just because he wasn't the best throughout the entire season. It was just more toes, more so towards the crunch time moments. And it seemed like those these past three years, it would be those crunch time moments where they just couldn't get the ball, like I said, get the ball to bounce their way or one thing that went wrong here and they're out the tournament. And just to be honest, it's a make or miss league, just plain and simple. So whether you have the top tier coach or you don't have the best coach, if you have the right players on your team, if you're getting the right recruits, then you might be set. You just never know. Um, but we wish the best for Coach Millett. Didn't know that he uh he was a former standout at Christian Brothers High School. That's a little that's a little note for uh all the people listening from Memphis. Yeah. Yeah, um he he does love Memphis. I, I had a few times to talk with him about it. He does love Memphis, so I do wish him the best in his future endeavors. Um one of his players, I mentioned her before, Ariel Gonzalez Barner, she is going to be invited to try out for the Puerto Rico women's basketball national team. Of course, the Olympics coming up, coming up, so maybe she makes the team and that'll be some more women's basketball that we'll have to watch and root for. So good luck to her in her future endeavors as well. Absolutely. I, I think that'd be awesome. And just as my brief stint in kind of watching women's basketball, there are very few uh, ladies that I've seen as tall as uh, Ariel. So, I mean, that, that, that's something she's got against her. And I, at her time at Austin P, she was a real force, especially in her junior and se senior season. She kind of elevated her, her play right when they needed her. But echo all the the uh, kind of sentiments to Coach Midlick. He's going to lay it on his feet. He's a He's a very good basketball coach, just didn't break it here and like Marcus said it's it's sports is a game of fine margins and just that one bounce doesn't go your way you, you're ultimately uh, going to be out of a job but he, he's going to do great in whatever the aspect and I, I would like to one say one more thing there's a good chance uh, maybe in two or three years time that we will have new head coaches on the men's side as well I know coach um, coach figures contract is coming to an end here pretty soon the expectations that Austin P wants for that team is, I think, just as high as the women's program, just because of the history it's had uh, with uh, with Dave Luce. So, it's a uh, sports is a competitive industry, as we're starting to find out here, even in the uh, the college aspect and in the pros as well. But uh, you get paid, you get paid the big bucks for stuff like that. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a long tenure before uh, Coach Miller gets another job. But we wish the best of luck 
to Coach Millick, and then also, once again, best of luck to Terry Taylor as he moves on from his collegiate career. When we come back, we're going to hit on the uh, UFC, and then uh, we're going to give you the results of these guys' uh, NBA All-Star draft. They don't they don't know who came out on top, but I do. So I'm going to announce that uh, in just one moment. We'll be right back here with more Just Talking Sports. Yo, what's up? So last Saturday, last Saturday, March the 6th, we had UFC 259. It was slated to be a great card and great card, question mark, good card. Absolutely. Um, we had some interesting fights. Uh, we'll start off with the first fight. Alexander Rakic uh, defeated Tiago Santos, uh, won by unanimous decision. Both these guys were heavyweights. Tiago Santos, his most notable fight was against John Jones, where it went five rounds. He blew out, I believe, both of his knees. Yeah. Um, even It was even uh, questionable, did he win that fight versus John Jones? But, of course, John Jones went with the win, a guy that's pretty much undefeated, recognized as undefeated in the UFC. Um, but Rogers comes away with the win. Hadn't any, anything going against that? I think Rockets won the, won the fight. I agree. One thing I would say is this fight was um, a lot of prompt coming into it was going to be the fight of the night because these are two guys that just throw absolute caution into the wind. And if they get knocked out, so be it. But uh, the, these two guys are kind of known for their punching power, but a very conservative fight from both of them. That's kind of usually what you see from some of these heavy hitters coming into it when two of them come together. Uh, they're not used to really uh, having the threat of getting knocked out by one punch, and these two guys had that exact same kind of danger, so they played it safe. Uh, I thought we saw something from Santos that we hadn't normally seen, and that was a conservative game plan against John Jones. I thought he threw caution in the wind. Ultimately, those knees that you were talking about just didn't get him through, but uh, not a terrific fight, but I think to start off a main card, uh, it wasn't too bad of a fight went into the the judges' scorecards, and for once, I don't have a, a real a, a gripe with the with the judges in this fight. Oh, just know it's coming, my friend. Oh. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the next fight. So, Islam, y'all gonna have to forgive me for this uh, butchering of a last name, but Makashev, I believe, yep. is his last like name. That. Uh, defeated Drew Dober, a guy who's smiley. He has a, a D bag haircut, but it's okay. This dude is a build. He's bulky. Uh, they made it to round three where Islam stopped him with the arm. They called it an arm triangle. Basically, he put his shoulder into his neck. Now, from round, basically round one, round two, round three, Islam just straight up took him to the ground, just held him like a bear. Now, Islam, he comes from the camp of Khabib Nurmagomedov, and, man, he did his best impression of him. Got the shaved head. He got the beard like Khabib. And he looked like him inside the octagon. Once he got him into the middle of the octagon round three, it was pretty much over. Yeah, I agree. Um, Islam, that, that ground game, that's one thing if you want to – you might not like it, but that ground game is really a, a great tool for any fighter to have in the UFC because I know we can we talk about it for the, uh, later on in a minute, but – you get a guy on the ground in the middle of the, of the ring, they don't have no great takedown. I mean, uh, just, not just takedown defense, but just great defense on the ground in general. They're stuck there all all night long. And that it, when you're breathing, all, all you're going to be breathing in at, when you're at the bottom is hot air. 
because somebody's gonna be just laying right on top of you and there ain't nothing you can do about it i agree and and i think a lot of question is which would you rather be would you rather be the knockout artist or would you rather be a guy like khabib who can kind of just wear you down and strangle you in the second round and to me what we're starting to see more and more of it if you're a grade a top wrestler it tops the knockout power because it's a lot harder to get um to find that perfect punch to knock to knock you out than just to get a simple takedown and then you can do your damage from there and you got all the time in the world especially like we're talking about if it's in the middle of the ring this fight was never close from minute one in the first round it went immediately to the ground and we saw pretty much uh 15 minutes more of that uh, throughout the fight so for drew dober kind of another tough loss for him but it's starting to be a, another one of these kind of Khabib guys that are starting to fly up the rankings. And I'm not sure that many guys are going to want to face him because he is just making quick work of, uh, of, of these fights. And he's not taking much time at all in it, only losing one fight. Uh, but since that, since that loss, he's been absolutely dominating the UFC. Khabib was uh, in the arena that night. So I don't, I don't know what, uh, what they're feeding these, uh, these Russian boys over there at the camp, but they are absolutely dominating the UFC right now. If you've ever seen uh, Dagestani basketball, uh, they're basically wrestling while they're playing basketball. It's really not much basketball being played. I mean, basketball, <laughs> you think you dribble, you shoot. These folks are doing takedowns, scoring, like scoring takedowns, like the refs are like, nice. Like, great takedown, and then they'll just throw the ball at the backboard. <laughs> just like a metal exercise, but it's insane. Those, those dudes are nuts, man. Uh, moving on to the next fight. All right, so let's get into it. So, oh, I just want to say, Gabe, oh, this ahead. was the most controversial fight out of all of them. This this was the controversial fight out of uh, the whole entire night. Uh, controversial ending, definitely. Uh, Aldermaine but Sterling. Going against uh, Peter Yawn. Now, Peter, he was the champion. Um, they had a pretty much back and forth. They had somewhat of a back and forth fight. Peter Yawn, he was starting to control it going into these last rounds. But Peter Yawn actually ends up losing this fight. So, at this point in the fight, Peter Yawn has uh, Aldermaine Sterling down. Uh, he's trying to kind of, like, figure out what to do with him. He talks over to his corner. I believe that the announcer says that he he asked. He was like, yo, should I should I hit yeah. him? Should I kick him? What should I do? And they were like, go ahead, I'll kick him. And he ends up kneeing Aljamain Sterling in the head, concussing him, and that, that's, that's not legal. Okay, so one thing. One guy said a chest punch, but what Daniel Cormier said, because uh, he had Khabib sitting right next to him, he said another guy told him to kick him. And then when they did the kick, whoever told him to kick him said, yeah. So that's that's that was the somewhat questionable thing within his camp, saying one of them, we heard one of them say chest. It was in English, like just a chest punch. But somebody in Russian said kick him. So and Peter, he went with he went with the kick. And that ultimately cost him the match. And the, the, the bad part for me was that Jan was winning this whole fight the entire oh, time. Yeah. He, he, 
Like, if, if it went all five, I think it was unanimous decision that Jan was going to win. Because Sterling, for me, he he was trying to fight this fight like it was a three-round fight and not a five-round fight. And by that fourth round, he was exhausted. And he didn't, he didn't have any gas in him. And it was times where he just left his guard down in the fourth round. Um, it was times where he was just eating punches. And it was just like, all right, we was really just waiting on Jan's finishing punch. But it ultimately was his, his, his illegal knee that cost him. I don't want to accuse anyone of anything here, but I think Sterling knows exactly what he was doing in that position. I, I think he, he, that position he was in, he was in that position for, I, I think, no exaggeration, 10 seconds before Jan ended up kind of delivering that knee to the head that ultimately got him disqualified. Just because I, I'd never seen much of anything like that because Sterling had his hands on Jan, and that, that is one thing if the hands are on, on the ground – that usually means that that the knee is on the ground as well. That that's just kind of one thing that I thought. Because uh, for me, at the first angle looking at it, I, I thought his knees was off the ground, his hands were off the ground, uh, were off the mat. So I thought the knee was completely legal. And then that second look, his knee was clearly down. And I think he was trying to bait Jan into getting that uh, in getting that knee because that was the only way he was going to win that fight. There was no chance he was going to make it into that fifth round uh, without being at least knocked out or, or finished on the ground like you were talking about Marcus he was gassed by the third round he was those two rounds he went pedal to the metal and the hope was for him that he could finish uh, Peter by that point but Jan he kind of just played uh, the waiting game and did just enough in that third and fourth round to really start to control the fight Sterling he he, he put on the acting I, I was in I was in drama in Chokwar in high school I know acting when I see one to me that was exactly it I, I he got hit in the head very very hard but uh, there were punches in that fight where he got hit harder than that, and he didn't make as much of a as much of a uh, I don't know what you want to call it. But I I just think Sterling knows knows what he was doing there. Um, it worked out for him. He's got the title. He's going to have to face uh, Peter. I would have to say again, there's no way Dana doesn't make that rematch for me. But I don't know. I, I think it's such a harsh. Uh, we I would like to see this in WWE. Uh, in the WWE, uh, I know this uh, UFC fans are about to roll over in their grave. Uh, switch off now if you want to. But if there is a disqualification, the other guy doesn't get the belt. It, it's just kind of left it left up for grabs. It's vacated, and then they fight again to have the title. I, I don't think Sterling should be, should be able to get the title because he got kicked in the head, and you feel sorry for him. So give him the title. I call me call me a um, a neutral. Call me a um, I don't know what you want to call me, but that is just one thing I, I'd like to say. Sterling did what he did have to do to get the title. He did it, and. Uh, Congratulations to him, I guess. Uh, you I can tell you how excited I am. Fight fans. Jay, What's wrong Jay, with you? <laughs> one thing one thing I want to say is, well, now with this DQ, it almost going to be set up a trilogy fight because I think John is going to come back with a vengeance. He's probably going to try to knock out Sterling oh, in, yeah. in the next one. but And then we might have a trilogy to try to break the tie. I, I, I wish that John didn't have this DQ because – the next fight that I was going to want to see was against Triple C, Henry Saludo. I, I was ready for that one because yeah. we 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 saw that he was he retired, but you know how these UFC guys are. They just want the dollars. And Dana White, can you stop with this making it seem like they want, they're really going to be retired when they just want more money? That's all. That's another word for it. Yeah, I'm retired, so give me what an extra eight million dollars. 
that's 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 what it sounds like. It's coming out from the UFC fighters, but Triple C is supposed to be coming back, and I don't want Triple C to fight Sterling. I wanted Yon to fight Triple C because we saw, like I said earlier, we saw it with Sterling. He he ain't gonna be able to get Triple C like that. I mean, for all I care, yeah. For, for all I care, Henry Cejudo should fight Francis Ngannou. I, I am the least uh, Henry <laughs> uh, Cejudo fan I think on the planet. I, I, I just want to knock out Who, whoever's got to do it, do it. I, I, I just let it, let it happen. Francis, why? That's cruel, dude. Why? No, I, I just his retirement, his his whole his whole act. That he pulled that Conor UFC. McGregor. What do you mean? No, well, he didn't do it like Conor. I, I'm just gonna leave it at that. I, I'm not a Henry Cejudo guy. I think his his whole persona is just cringe. And uh, if he wants to come back, great. Now, let him let him fight. I guess. Who who am I to kind of ruin that moment for him? Indeed, indeed. Well, we definitely will see a rematch Dana said that he's going to get put that in the works I'm excited to see it as we said Peter Yan was taking it to uh, Sterling at the end right there he just had an unfortunate DQ and but I am with you Pat, and I was questioning wondering because this is the first time I believe in UFC history where this has happened in a title fight and just to lose the title that way it is unfortunate but to win the title that way it's also unfortunate because you do work hard to get these wins, to beat up the other guy. And whenever you're just kind of like gifted the title, I mean, you do have the title. That is great. But the way that you want it, it's kind of like, yeah, like Aljamain Sterling, whether you think it was an acting job or not, he basically like threw that thing to the floor. He, he didn't seem too, too happy about it. But, hey, I mean, he could be at home in his bed just hugging this thing like, ah, oh, baby, you're mine, my precious. I, I will say one thing in, in Sterling's defense. He should have no kind of um, reason to go back into the fight. It was an illegal It was an illegal knee. He got hit in the head, and he was definitely concussed. He, that definitely didn't help him for the rest of the fight. I agree with him. There's no reason why he should have to fight again and ultimately kind of compromise his already compromised state. So I'll say that about Sterling. He uh, There's no reason for him to go back into it. So that's, that's my one defense of, uh, of, of that fight. All right, moving on. So, the last two fights, these are the main events for the first one. We got to see the GOAT, the GOAT of women's fight sports, Miss Lioness Annette, Amanda Nunes. She defeats Morgan and or Megan Anderson. It was it, it, it was just quick work. Uh, uh, arm bar, round one, 203 in the uh, fight. Golly, I mean, this lady is just she she's a tank and everyone else is like, uh, I don't know, sand, clay, putty, whatever you want. She just steamrolls over everybody. Guys, did you look away from the screen at all whenever her fight started? Because, I mean, if you didn't, if you didn't keep your eyes just wide open, you, you would have missed it. She only got hit twice. This is like the third fight where she's only got hit less than five times. In the past, what three years? Just being honest, like she, she, she is the best pound for pound. She is. It's no stopping her. She doesn't have any weaknesses. I'm sorry. She's just different. She's just built different. And so, yeah. what was I surprised about by this? Not really. 
she she was the heavy favorite, and I don't I don't know who can stop her. Just playing. I don't think I don't think there's anyone that can stop her at this point. She's literally getting paid to train because I'm sure that she trains for these fights. Like she's she's in the gym working now, doing whatever, just trying to better her different skills. But it's it's not even competition at this point. Uh, Patton, did she break a sweat? Because I was looking at, it, I was like, she she didn't even sweat. She didn't sweat. Well, yeah, she, she's kind of running into the same sort of thing Khabib has, and he's running out of competition. And for her, she's not not getting hit like Marcus is talking about. And in her division right now, there's really no up-and-coming fight that you're looking at and saying, man, I, I'd love to see it. The only fight I would like to see, and that's already happened already, is Valentina Shevchenko. I, I'm a big fan of her. I like her fights uh, in her division. She's two or three weight cast, the weight classes uh, below of what Amanda Nunes is, so they'd have to kind of catch weight somewhere. I'd like to see that fight. I don't, I don't know if it end up happening or not, but that is the only fight I am interested in seeing. I am at this point for Amanda as tough as it is, as tough as it is. I'm not going to pay a pay per view for her to be the main event because that that main event is going to be over in 30 seconds. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it's just a tough situation for. I mentioned. Henry Cejudo, one thing on Twitter was that that's a possible uh, matchup. Amanda Nunes and, and Henry Cejudo for the uh, for, for, for the equality belt. So that, that's I'd pay for that. I, I'd pay for that pay-per-view, um, Dana White, if you're listening. So um, that, that is one thing I will say about Amanda Nunes. You kind of feel bad for at this point because she's making it look so easy that I don't it can't hurt her uh, resume or kind of her aura. But it's just no no threat for her right now with her division, and I think there's something the UFC is going to have to talk about because uh, right now Megan and- Megan Anderson, whenever she walked into that that octagon, she was as white as a ghost, and I think she kind of saw her future uh, ahead of her, and that future happened pretty quickly. Indeed, it's, it's indeed. It was, I'm sorry, Gary. it's just uh, uh, it's nothing. It's nothing really you can say. I don't know who who can even stand a chance that can 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 somebody get her past the first round i could that, probably run around i could run around the octagon for five minutes and might no that, that's not gonna work that's not gonna work because she gonna stop you at a certain point you can't just be running around like she's running around in the grocery <laughs> store that's not gonna work oh you're right you're right so i don't know like i don't know Because how long, how long, how long are we gonna wait to so she get past the second round? Is a is a, is a real question. There's no one there, like, like we said. There's no one there for, her and she can't move to another. Uh, like usually, some guys, if it's uh, no real threat for him, like Mighty Mouse, whenever he did it, Demetrius Johnson, he left. He went over to one. Uh, one fighting and, and he kind of found some matchups UFC it's it's got the best uh, women's division or uh, women's talent in, in all of the world so there's really nowhere for her to go other than to c- keep collecting these checks and um keep being a mom I, I brought brought her baby in, in the octagon that was probably the best action of the fight was trying to get her baby to calm down in, in the UFC ring so she might have tougher times at home uh taking care of the child <laughs> yeah. than she's doing the yeah. octagon easily <laughs> just thinking about that she have tougher times with her little with her little child than the octagon <laughs> in the past what three years for real <laughs> yeah i think once we saw her clear out chris cyborg as easily as she did mm-hmm. we were like well <clears throat> 
that's it. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. it. There's <laughs> nothing, nothing else that can be done. Uh, she, she's a champ champ. She's going to hold on to those two belts for a very long time unless uh, unless they allow some, um, I guess, gender bending to, well, to happen in the UFC, which I seriously doubt. So uh, otherwise, she'll, she'll be holding on to those belts until she wants to just give them away. Let's get into yeah. the main event. All right. For the main event, Jan Blankowicz holding the title going against Israel Adesanya, who holds the title already in the middleweight division. Uh, Izzy, he is uh, moving up to – he moved up to light heavyweight to see if he could become the fifth guy to hold the reign of being a champ champ in the UFC. And he just fell short. So let's take it. Let's take it round by round. So round one, um, the judges they scored that ten nine, whether in Izzy or Blankowicz's way. I believe two of the judges had a yawn. What did you guys see from round one, uh, Marcus? Um, I agree with him. It was. I think Yan controlled the entire fight. Uh. For round, I think started in round one for me. Uh, it was just that Jan really didn't show a lot of weaknesses for me in this entire fight, and Israel was trying to find find one. So you saw him trying to attack the legs early, maybe get the legs weak so he could try something else. But hey, you got to give credit to Jan. He he is no slouch at all, and for for me, I think. I think for me, I, I had said Jan took round one, but I had Israel taking round two. That that was my that was my look on it. I'll say this about round one: I think that was Israel, without a doubt, his best round because uh, Jan, uh, Jan at the very beginning didn't know exactly what to do with Adesanya. Kind of that length is something he doesn't see very often. It's really Israel and John Jones; those are the two guys that have got the kind of reach advantage. That, um, that, that that those two have, there's really no one else. So for me, that whole round one for Jan was kind of feeling his way out, trying to figure out how he wanted to uh, attack Israel Adesanya. And one thing I did like you saying there, Marcus, was there are no weaknesses that we saw um, from Jan in this fight. He even took uh, Israel to the ground, and we haven't seen that very often from at, at all in, in the middleweight for Israel Adesanya. So that was interesting to see. You're, you've kind of known uh, Blakovich to kind of – be more of the heavy hitter to be kind of more of the knockout power, but he showed there he's just as good as on the ground and he can control you there as well. The, the one thing that's why I said, I think that Jan took round one is because he was being patient, but he was being extremely tactical in round one. So that's why I think the judges was going more in his favor. With, I, I think he was right. It's, it was like 10 9, I think, for Jan, right? Gate. Yeah, I'm sitting here looking at the scorecards. Okay. Scar it was yeah. two 10 nines and uh, one, no, three 10 nines, unanimous uh, three 10 nines. Yeah, because I was like, I think also it was just him being extremely tactical. It's somewhat, so being patient and tactical sometimes is not common, especially for somebody that's going to get out of signing. Because out of signing, he can, if, if you be patient, he can get aggressive. If you try to be tactical and slip up that's it you 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 can be down for the count so it was just like i said it was really no weaknesses for yarn 
And then as we got closer and closer, I think the size mattered to the end. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, Adesanya, he notably said out loud that he didn't really move up in weight. I think he came in, weighed in uh, like one in the 190s. I think 198 is what his weigh-in was. And he could have lost weight and Jan could have gained weight from uh, weigh-in to the fight. So round two, um, two of those went to Jan as well. One went to Izzy. Round three, that's the one where Izzy won two 10-9 rounds. Um, I believe how I felt about the fight uh, up until up until really the end, but especially the round three before we got into the championship rounds, round four and five, it was kind of like a balloon, like an already inflated balloon, and you're just blowing in it. And the, and the balloon is just getting bigger and bigger, and you're just waiting for it to pop. And we didn't really see a pop because both of these guys – were respectful. I believe Jan was respectful of Izzy's skill, his extreme skill in all facets of the game, but Izzy was also respective of Jan's weight and his power, and it wasn't until round four and five whenever Jan started getting the takedowns and uh, started, using, started using his weight more. Uh, Patton, did you see something different? No, I, same sort of thing. Coming into this fight, I really wanted uh, Izzy to win the fight just because I am a uh, big believer in the John Jones and Israel Adesanya fight. And with this loss, we've heard John Jones say exactly that he doesn't see a point in the fight. And how, whether true or um, untrue that, that statement should be for John, I, I think there's something to be said because John is bigger, faster, better at pretty much everything that Izzy does, in my opinion. And we've seen that, whether that be on the picograms of uh, – steroids or not I don't know I'm not going to comment on that but uh, for Izzy this was a fight to me was going to be the true test on whether or not he could handle John Jones I think that fight is over now we've already heard uh, from uh, Dana or we've seen from Dana White that uh, whatever happens in this Francis Ngannou Stipe Miocic fight uh, John Jones is going to fight the winner for that so uh, didn't didn't love seeing Izzy not end up winning this fight but for Jan I think this is another um kind of like with Amanda Nunes, you're just looking at the light heavyweight division and there isn't a whole lot there. And that was the whole reason for Dana White sending up Israel Adesanya to uh, light heavyweight was to try and uh, spice up the division with John Jones leaving. But ultimately he did not get that outcome because there's just a clear level above um, everybody else in, in that division. For me, Gabe, uh, I thought Adesanya got, you could saw, see the fatigue in him in those championship rounds that, we wasn't really accustomed to seeing in the middleweight division. Um, and I think the size played a factor. Um, well, am I saying if he bulked up a little bit more, would have been more in his favor? We don't know that. But we could also tell that once Jan did those takedowns, it wasn't much that he that Israel could do in that fourth and fifth round because one takedown and he was on the mat in the middle of the ring for majority of the rounds. It ain't, it ain't much you can do when you're on the ground doing nothing, trying to get back up. And it, I, I also, too, I wanted to see John Jones versus Israel, but uh, I don't know, man. Uh, seeing how easily John took down Israel, I think John Jones would do the exact same thing and just control the ground game for him. And we all know that we wouldn't want to see no ground game between those two. We wanted to see them thug, uh, just slug it out. But 
that's a weakness probably potentially for Israel with guys that are bigger than him. And John Jones would just be too big for him. Like 15 to 20 pounds is too much for Israel right now. Indeed. Um, I think that's where we saw a way for Jan to win if he was to take Israel to the ground. And that's what he did at the ends of the fourth and fifth round. Now, the issue where the controversy comes in is just the scoring. Um, they scored it. They scored a 10-8. Two of the judges scored 10-8 at the end of the round. Dana didn't like it. Other UFC fighters didn't like it. I don't believe it was a 10-8 round because a 10-8 means that you basically got your tail kept. It, it wasn't it wasn't a quick fight. And I think that it was close period. I mean, pretty much the whole fight. I agree. Uh, well, it really wasn't a whole lot there for me. Uh, just the same sort of thing with UFC judges. What, what what do you expect at this point? I mean, there it's a, it's a broken system. And until we fix it, we're going to have instances like this. Luckily, it didn't end up influencing the fight because I think Jan would have won uh, either way with a 10-9 or 10-8 anyway. But um, disgraceful. I agree. Yeah, I think it was uh, 10 nines. I, I don't think it was should have been 10 eights at all. But I think, like I said, Jan, Jan was a clear winner. Let's go ahead and move forward because we got to get these results from uh, the last podcast. If you listened in, we had uh, these two guys did a NBA All-Star draft. And uh, we the way we did the scoring was they, these guys – Draft their guys, and we went off the point system. Well, for the winner of the JTS All Star Draft is going to be Gabriel Jones. He defeated Patton Cook. The score was one eighty to one forty. Unfortunately, for Patton, uh, he was hoping that he had picked Giannis. And if you had, if if Patton would have had Giannis, actually, Gabe would have only won by five points. So. That, Still that was, one. <laughs> yeah, but it would have been close. That's that's the only difference. But congratulations. I would like to make a comment. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, a big LeBron guy uh, myself is. I am officially uh, disregarding LeBron James forever. Uh, the mail-in performance I saw from him on the All-Star game, absolutely disgraceful. I mean, did he even play in the second half? Uh, another one, James Harden. What are you doing out there? I, I've seen step-back three-pointers from you all season long. All of a sudden, you turn in to bloody uh, Cliff Paul out there. I, I mean, I couldn't believe what I was seeing uh, on the floor there. The entire game, I was thinking I had Giannis, and whenever he was just running up the floor, dunking on everybody, I was like, awesome. I've got this thing secured. Of course, Gabe, he he picked my arch nemesis, Steph Curry. I mean, he's stabbing me in the heart once again. Shout out my pick on Steph Curry winning the three-point contest. But Gabe, a clear winner. Uh, I, I think he some, somehow stole Giannis from me. I swear on my life that I picked him, but I have it on my piece of paper. I didn't pick him. I don't know how. I don't know why I thought I picked him, but fair enough. Hey, look, all I want to say is as a winner – Look, man, I, I'm just good at picking teams. Look, this this is what I do, babe. You know what I mean? Look, look, maybe I'm not the player, but, you know, I can I can GM some things together, especially whenever I have nothing but all-stars to choose from, I guess. So, we'll we'll take the win. Thank you, Giannis. Shout out Giannis having a perfect game from the field. And shout out Steph hitting 50-foot bombs from threes just the entire game. And I, maybe I – did you have Dame? I'm not sure if you had no, Dame or you, not. But you, you had, well, you had Dame, well. too. I mean, Shout out Damian Lillard, do it. Dame, Tom, Steph, tossing the assist, pointing to the watch. You know what time it is. Bangers. 
Shout out for Team LeBron drafting him. So uh, there you go, your boy. Burnt by your boy. We appreciate it. <laughs> hey, man, because also you forgot about Bradley Beal. That was a quiet, a quiet, it was like 26 points. I, I believe Gabe had three twenty. He had a 35-point score at 28, 26, 22. Yeah, it, it was it was a lot of scoring for Gabe, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm sorry, Buddy Patton, but I James Harden, Luka Doncic, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, and Kyrie Irving, you're all dead to me. Those were my top <laughs> picks, and they absolutely screwed me over. I mean, you look at that list, you're thinking, that's 200 points easily right there. Here I am, egg on my face. Gabe, the winner, what can you do? Yeah, I think three of those guys combined for like 22 points. Un- unbelievable. unbelievable. Like Kawhi, LeBron, and Luca, I think combined for like just 22 points. <laughs> Good job, guys. Good job. Oh, um, before we move on to anything else, I wanted to hit dunk contest. All right, just real quick on the scoring. <clears throat> Cassius Stanley, did he not have the best dunk of the night? Yes. Yes. Did he not have the lowest score of the night? Yes. <laughs> what is going on? Former dunkers. All all former dunkers. That's all I'm going to say. It was all former dunkers, and he had the lowest. I don't know. I don't know. I guess he made it too easy. This is the problem that we have with nobody wanting to do the dunk contest. Call me a casual, but I do not remember Josh Smith doing anything in the NBA, and he's got the gall to go up there and penalize a rookie like that and catch the Stanley. Gave him an eight for that dunk. I couldn't believe it. Um, All those guys up there. I mean, I can't can't believe it. And like you said, that's why we don't get LeBron James and and Zion Williamson in the dunk contest. It's an absolute joke. But the other festivities, I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, my Steph Curry. Three pick, and then I, I'm always a big fan of the knockout. So that uh, that skills challenge with uh, Sabonis winning it, that that was fun. That, I'm glad we had the All Star um, on Sunday. Hey, Gabe was correct on uh, Chris Paul blowing it in the first round. So Gabe got another one right on that one. But Sabonis, it was good seeing Sabonis winning. Steph, Steph. Hey, shout out to Mike Conley. It's another thing I wanted to say. Mike Conley coming in late and dropping 28 points, and it was, like, 25 in the three-point contest. That's a sniper from Memphis. Yeah, I said it. Shout out Mike Conley. We we give kudos to Mike over here. Great job for Mike, even though he was a runner-up, but you also went up against the greatest shooter of all time. That's unfortunate, but kudos to Mike Conley. I bet you – I hope everybody enjoyed the All-Star Weekend and this episode as well. We gonna uh, the next one we might talk about a little bit of free agency to mess with uh, Sir Patton because it's been a lot of moves and whatnot. But we gonna we gonna hold we gonna he gonna hold that emotion for for the next one because uh, it ain't looking too good for his Titans. But thank y'all for watching, listening to another episode of the JTS podcast.